Welcome. My name is Casey Must. I'm the owner and founder of Citizen Yoga. We are broadcasting from Detroit, Michigan, and you are listening to After Class. After Class is Citizen Yoga's podcast where we explore um, issues more in depth that we talk about in class, where we go into deeper philosophy. We talk about issues that students are struggling with, that we're all struggling with, to build a more healthy, more positive self-relationship and community relationship with each other. Our first guest is our wonderful student and my dear friend, Jesse Sutherland. Hello. Hello. I'm so excited to be here. It's like such an honor to be the first guest. I don't know what I did to deserve this. <laughs> You're just a wonderful person. Oh, oh thanks. You are too. And one of the um, goals for this podcast is to talk about issues that people aren't talking about. Mm-hmm. And Jesse and I have a long relationship and one of the primary issues that we want to first begin with is a very hot topic, but a very quiet topic of yeah. infertility. Yes. Um, so Jess, maybe you can just talk about yourself a little bit and what is your personal mission and um, how does that personal mission sort of reflect in all the things that you're now doing in your day-to-day life? Yeah. Um, yes. So I guess I should start with I've always kind of thought of myself as a helper when I think about who I am and and what my personal mission is. It's always had some sort of tie to trying to be a helper um, as a former teacher and then just in my everyday life. Uh, So my personal mission right now, though, um, is, is trying to help others through infertility and loss struggles. Um, It's not my full-time job, but it is a full-time job in a lot of ways, Um, and it all comes from my own personal experiences and struggles and trying to use what I've been through um, to help others navigate that that kind of terrible, trying journey. And one of the things you were saying before this podcast, and maybe we can just put it on the table so we take the pressure off of you... Um, which is sort of your desire to do this right. Yeah. So maybe yes. just talk a little bit about that so that yeah, let's you can take the, the pressure <laughs> off of your heart. Yes. Yeah. So I was um, just saying that I, I have an element of nervousness around it because, and I do every time I talk about it in a more public way, just because I want to do right by the people that are going through this. And I think something that I found with working with women who are struggling is that we all have such different stories, but there are a lot of parallels and a lot of connections we make with one another. But there just feels like this pressure of like wanting to say all of the right things and help other people understand what this is like. Um, and so I like was real nervous about just wanting to say the right things or kind of represent this community. Um, especially because not everyone is as outspoken as I am about it and isn't as public about it. Um, there's so many women and men who kind of live in silence with Mm. this. And so there's feels like this sense of obligation and duty to kind of like be a voice for those people too. It's it's like this underlying pressure that I probably put on myself that doesn't totally exist, but yeah, but I think it's very related to teaching yoga in some ways. Like a lot of the people who are going to be listening to this practice yoga and thinking about how we as teachers feel that way, that all of us, each one of us, whether you're a teacher or a student, we all have these personal missions, hopefully. Yeah. And if you haven't identified it, maybe this podcast and listening will help you sort of dig deeper. Yeah. Um, but we all want our lives to have meaning. Right. And that's really what the point of this is, is that this isn't one conversation. This is just a conversation that you and I get to have um, so that we just sort of start the conversation for other people, which is pretty exciting. Yes, it's very exciting. It's an honor, really. So can you talk to me a little bit about, and everything's from your perspective, so you don't really have to qualify it that way. (laughs) Like, okay, this is my perspective, obviously. (laughs) Um, Like, from your perspective, what do you feel like society's relationship is right now to the topic of fertility and infertility? Yeah, so I think one of the things that I experienced the most was there's kind of just this weird expectation, right? Mm -hmm. That, That even thinking back to being a kid, it's like you think, all right, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to get married and I'm going to have a family. And that's just how it works, right? That like 
you check all of the quote unquote right boxes and that's the life you'll be given. And so I think um, society kind of like tames you to expect that or grooms you to expect that you're just going to have this perfect life and get to have your 2.5 kids and, you know, live in your white picket fence home. And um, so when that goes differently than you expect, it can really be a little like life shattering or, or can kind of rock your boat. Um, you know, I grew up always kind of wanting in my head to have three kids. Uh, and so I think just that societal expectation, um, it's hard. Yeah. It's like expectation versus reality in a lot of ways. Um, there's something else that I, that popped in my brain. But I think that we all feel like that about all of our big life decisions. You know, we talk about that a lot in philosophy about how, um, you know, you have a mind, which is like your child, and you have an intellect, which is like your adult. And when you don't build your capacity to choose consciously, you sort of get into like the stream or they call it like herd mentality where you're sort of just desiring what other people tell you to desire. Yeah. And maybe that was an initial thought for you. Like it was an original thought, like I want three kids Mm -hmm. or maybe it wasn't. Well, and, and like I grew they, up in a family of yeah, three kids. Exactly. So like, of course that shapes yeah. a little bit of what you expect. Um, I think too, we've talked off the record about <laughs> kind of just, you know, you get to a certain age and you start getting the question, when are you going to get engaged? When mm. are you going to get married? And it was like days after we were married, it's like, when are you guys going to have kids? Mm. And I think um, that can can really set people up for heartbreak in a lot of ways. And I think those questions often stem from, yeah, like the societal expectations of like, yeah, of course you're going to get married. And then of course you're going to have kids right away. And so we ask women and men these questions, not knowing how hurtful that can be when you are trying and it's not happening. And that's sort of the whole thing of, um, I think of it like being responsible with your conversation mm-hmm. and being responsible with your questions. And as you become a more aware adult, and sometimes you don't want to have to go through these things. Right. We, you know, we've all struggled with a little bit of heartbreak and loss. And um, even though we don't want those things, it really makes us a much more well-rounded person. And it teaches you how to be more compassionate and how to be more sensitive. Absolutely. I think now of how I talk to other women in comparison, like I I was totally guilty of asking women, like, when are you going to have kids or when are you starting a family? Um, I, I can like vividly remember saying those things. And now to see how much that has changed through my experience of not putting women on the spot. Cause you never know, like some people don't want to have kids too, you know? So just yeah. asking those kinds of questions can just, I think it should kind of be banished. <laughs> it's, it's not productive for, right. for anyone. Or from the flip side for all of us to have more compassion for the people who are asking those questions, because it's not that they're trying to be hurtful, which is hard to see. Totally. Not that you thought that, no. but just that you can't know what you don't know. Right. And we've all walked in different shoes and it it's so helpful to have a struggle and a perspective so that you can teach others and that's part of yeah. sharing your story, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it was something that shifted for me after everything that we've been through um when I at a certain point when I started to get asked that question, I I actively chose to be very honest with my answer Mm. so for a long time I would kind of be like oh yeah you know like hopefully one day or eventually and then I kind of got a lot more real with people and so when they would ask I would say well we've actually been struggling for like blank amount of time or after I had had losses I would say well like I have two children in my heart but they're not here Mm. you know and so just I started to look at it as a learning opportunity for others or to try to help people understand why questions like that and societal expectations like that can can be hard for someone going through, you know, different infertility struggles. Yeah, I think um, even before we're going to step into your story in a second, um, but thinking about it even for how we say, like, how are you? Yeah. You know, I, I try to banish the question, how are you? Yeah. From my vocabulary, um, my phrase usage, because 
nobody's really answering that question. No, <laughs> we're you all know? fine. We're fine. When, like, we could have had the worst, most tragic thing happen. Right. Like, you ask people that even at funerals sometimes, yeah. and it's like, why did I ask that? Like, <laughs> of course you're not right. good. Right. You know. Right, and it's sort of like, how can we get to real, honest conversation? How do we have more authentic relationships? And sometimes you have to hear the answer or say the answer that's uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So can you... Um, Talk to us a little bit about your story and the journey of going from, um, Jesse told me her story a little bit and it's really cute and like, you know, this like fantasy, oh, like, so embarrassing. no, it's not, it's <laughs> it amazing. Kind of is. No. This like fantasy, like family land to yeah. like harsh reality. Yeah. 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 Um, yes, I, I'm, will be happy to share my story. So we got married um, back in 2013. Who's we? Oh, my husband and I, Nick <laughs> and I, got married in 2013 after dating for like seven plus years. So, um, you know, we had been together quite some time. And we had, of course, talked about kids. I always felt like it was very important to talk about just because I had seen other people throughout life who hadn't talked about that. Um, and, you know, when things don't work out, that can be tricky, right, if, if you have different expectations around family building. But uh, we kind of hilariously decided that we'd give ourselves like a year of just being married and just kind of like figuring out marriage before we tried to start a family. And so, and I actually was, I was ready um, pretty quickly, but Nick just wanted some time and space and felt like, you know, like he wasn't totally ready to start trying right away. So by the time I convinced him that we needed to start a family, I was like the nerd that went to my OB with like all my supplements in a bag for like a preconception appointment, which is like so dumb to think about. And of course she's like sitting there and she's like, yeah, like these are all great supplements. And like, okay, now you just have to go home and like try to start a family. And she's like, we were you know how this we works, like, right? Yeah. Like she and just had to tell Jesse how yeah, to have she's sex. Like, she was just like, go okay. have sex now. It was like, ah, oh, like I think back to that and just how ridiculous that is. Um, and so we started trying, and there's just, even that, you know, like there's such a naive. All right, I feel naive looking back, right? Because it was like, okay, so I'll get pregnant, like this month and then I'll have the first baby this month. And it was like, I was already planning my whole family life mm -hmm. ahead of me. And I, went which is interesting really fast when you talk about expectation. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about this um, in philosophy this morning, you know, expectation really belongs to the future Yeah. and it, it creates massive disappointment for people. And so it's interesting. You can sort of hear how you've built up these layers of expectation oh over yes. time and, and clearly, it can be crushing. Like right. you're standing on a totally. cliff now. And like, clearly I'm sure you can already sense just by listening to me for like two seconds. I tend to be kind of a planner. I tend to be an anxious person. I've struggled with it all my life. And so, yeah, like even you talk about like anxiety is partly living in the future. And that's exactly what I was doing. I was starting to like plan out all these things that, you know, like didn't exist yet. Um, and I remember I decided in a bold move that I was going to go on the citizen yoga retreat to Tulum. It was the first retreat you guys were doing. And, you know, that citizen was such a community to me. And that was going to be my, like, last hurrah, which is so It was hard. a hurrah. We definitely <laughs> it was had a, a hurrah. hurrah. <laughs> yeah, and my cousin Sarah, we went together, and we were the cousins on the trip, and we were, like, there to have a good time and, you know, just absorb this experience. But, like, even she knew it was, like, in my head, I was going to become a mom after that. And, and I remember, this is funny, too, I remember even, like, saying to Nick, like, well, maybe we shouldn't totally try before this trip because, like, that would be a real buzzkill if I, like, <laughs> get pregnant before going on this trip. You know, like, it's so silly to Because then you couldn't now. have that afternoon drink. Oh, right. Yeah. And so, like, now looking back, it's like little did I know that there was years mm. ahead of me before um, we would even remotely get to dream of me being a mom. So I look back at moments at that, and, yeah, it's it's kind of – crazy to think about, but that was part of just like what I had set up as an expectation, right? And that for a lot of people, it does happen that way. They get pregnant right away, first month of trying, and they never really have to think about it after that. Yeah. And it's interesting. I remember on the retreat, you and I, do you remember we were like standing in the ocean yeah. and we were talking about, I was at this point with my husband, with Adam, and we were like, oh my God, 
what's going to happen in our relationship. I have all this pressure to get married, you know, and you were talking about, you know, starting a family. And it's interesting how no matter which stage you're at, we all have this like really common experience of so much pressure. Yeah. Um, instead of freedom right in, in our choices and I don't really know how to release from that yeah um, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting dynamic to consciously see all of us going through these big choices yeah yeah no I I totally agree and I distinctly remember that yeah. moment and feeling very connected and like we understood each other on a on a, a you know on a certain level mm-hmm. um so after my preconception appointment and being told to like, okay, like have sex. go go have sex now. Um, you know, we tried and I think we got I would say honestly, after like three months, I was already in my head kind of spiraling of just like something's not you know, like I because I had wanted to start a family even before Nick did or was ready to, I was doing ovulation tests, I was you know, religiously tracking my cycle. I, I knew kind of all the ins and outs of what should be happening. And, um, and so, you know, by six months, I think I nerdily called my OB again and was like, Hey, like something's not right. Something's not working. Like, can you please like try to figure this out and run some tests? And, um, a very common thing that happens to women who are quote unquote young, like me, um, I was in my late 20s at that point. They just kind of say, like, well, you have to be trying a year. And so we won't see you until it's been a year. Like, keep trying. Mm. And, you know, there's a part of me that was even like, well, why did I go to that preconception appointment? They would have never known that, you know, that I. Right. So anyways, we had to wait a whole year. And how did that feel? It was exhausting and frustrating. And I mean, I guess something that I want people to understand who haven't been through this, you start living your life in two-week cycles, right? You And you go through this whole buildup of like, okay, this is going to be the month, and everything's lining up, and this is when we'll have sex, and this is when I'll be able to, like, do my first pregnancy test. And um, so you go through these two weeks of kind of, like, hope and trying to be positive and optimistic, and then going through your ovulation period and, like, doing everything you need to do. And then the two-week wait of just, like, is this going to be my month? Is this – sorry, my nose drippy. Um, is this, is this going to be the time where I get to see a positive on my pregnancy test? And, you know, people telling you to just relax and stay positive when the only thing you can do is stress and worry. Mm-hmm. And the more months that you go – through with that I think the more intense it starts feeling Mm -hmm. and the more you're trying to like shut down the emotions that are naturally happening you know the stress and the worry um I think there's such uh, even if you're not an anxious person that can be an incredibly anxiety um provoking time and it sounds a little bit like you're isolated which you and I have talked about the power of community right and and both you and I have healed a lot of ourselves through community and feeling supported. And at this point in your journey, were you talking about this to anybody? Because I feel like society, um, you, you're like not supposed to say. Yeah. Like I tell our staff, like they're like, okay, are you trying? I'm like, you'll know. Because yeah. I'm just going to say like, <laughs> yeah. I'm trying yeah. now. Like, yeah. Mine will not be as secret by any means. Yeah. You know, I'm not I'm not shy in that way. And I encourage that really. I, yeah, I, I better know. Um, (laughs) but no, I, yeah, like I, I was pretty honest and there were times that I honestly kind of regretted being as open as I was with family and friends up front. I had said, okay, you know, like we're going to start trying now. And so then in some ways, then it was like people knew, knew as months and months and months went on and I wasn't getting pregnant that they would, you know, try to be supportive or try to ask. Um, I would say that I was like semi-closeted at that point because I was like, I would tell some of my closest friends and um, I both Nick and I have really supportive, lovely families who have done everything they can to like be there for us throughout all of this. And so I would give them updates, but I don't think that, I don't think I could adequately even like express 
how sad and dark it would get at certain times, you know. Which is interesting, too, because the medical profession doesn't really acknowledge your stress or your pain either, is what you're saying. So at this point, it feels like, well, I'm worrying about nothing. So it feels very invalidating. Oh, totally. There's a lot of kind of being brushed off and like, oh, you're young. And it's, you know, you really only have like a 30% chance every month anyway. So, you know, there was a lot of kind of just... um, diminishing the way that I was feeling. Um, I I distinctly remember I'm someone who struggles with depression and anxiety anyways. And so um, I remember like I would go out to dinner with friends or or have social interactions and further into this first year of trying, I just like when people would ask like, what's going on or how are you? I remember just feeling like I don't have anything positive to say you know, and that was a scary feeling to me. I knew what that felt like already in like super depressive or dark times. And so then it was like, oh, this isn't a good look for me because I feel like I can't even, I can't even give a positive right now because I just feel so lost in this. But that's so interesting because um, I was just talking to somebody who um, was in is in one of your support groups the other day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she sort of has that same kind of reaction, like, well, if I'm if I don't have anything positive to say, then I'm not worth being there. Yeah. And like, why is our worth tied to being a positive presence? Why is our worth tied to presenting ourselves in a specific way socially? Because right. yeah. if these are your, I mean, this is pressure we put on ourselves. I'm not saying that your friends do that. No. Yeah. And I have lovely friends. So right. it wasn't them. It was definitely me. And and, and bringing light to that. Yeah. And getting, like, I would just get in my own head of just, like, I'm such a wet blanket right now. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm so sad, you know? Like, why is, this is just sad. And, and I, it's okay. I, become, I started to become not obsessive, but I was just, like, so consumed, especially, I think, within that first year because there weren't any answers. I didn't feel like the medical community was giving me any kind of um, attention or understanding. And... I just don't think that people always knew how to talk about it, you know? Like, I think that's another thing that I really want to communicate properly is people say really dumb stuff to you when you're going through this. And so there... So can you give a really quick... um, Can you give a few things for listeners... Oh, yeah. ...that people could say to you that would have been helpful? I'm sorry I cut you off No, that's fine. I think that's... That was, you know, driving here, one of the biggest points I wanted to drive home is just, like, helping other people who don't understand this struggle know how to be supportive to to others going through this journey. So I think there's this natural tendency for people to want to feel like they can fix something or, or help you in some constructive way. And that's just not always the case with this struggle. Um, so, you know, there's, I literally, <laughs> we had several people be like, well, are you doing it right? And it was like, oh, oh. like, that's, and that's so like, painful. It's cringeworthy, right? Cause, yeah. And that's part of the, the fear of coming out about this kind of stuff is it does open people to feel like they get to talk about this private, intimate part of your life. You mm-hmm. know, if you're like sharing that things aren't going well, it's like you have people, yeah, like, are are you guys doing it right? It's like, yeah, I think we've got it covered. Um, <laughs> and a lot of like, just relax, or you guys should go uh. on a vacation. It's like, okay, clearly you don't understand how cycles work. Like, can't just necessarily plan this during my ovulation period and know, you know, like it's yeah. just that kind of stuff is maddening. Um, I think. So what can we do, right? Like, I, think, I, I was yeah. with you a lot, um, and we can talk about sort of what that looked like, but I was with you a lot. And, yeah, um, I think um, listening is huge. Like, listening and letting the person share what they want to share, um, not feeling like you have to fix it, right? Like, just feeling like you can be an active listener. You can ask questions about how they're feeling, about 
um, what they're thinking their next steps should be instead of like telling them, well, you should just think about adoption. I know so-and-so, her sister's cousin's hairdresser, like they just adopted and she got naturally pregnant. You know, it was like all sorts of like these rare stories that people throw out and it's supposed to make you feel better, but instead it's like, no, that's not helpful. So I think listening is huge. I think, um, I think doing your own research as someone, if you're in a friend role or a family role, of trying to understand yourself because when you're the person going through it, there is so much that's thrown at you, both medically but also like mentally. And so um, doing your own research as someone trying to support someone going through infertility and, and understanding just the basic terminology around it because that can be something that you find yourself constantly having to explain to other people. Um, knowing that at some point for whoever is struggling, it's going to probably work itself out in one of three ways, right? So that they will eventually get pregnant in some way, whether that's naturally, quote unquote naturally, or through some sort of fertility treatment, um, or they might choose to go the adoption route or they might choose to live a life without kids. And so I think that, I remember reading that on a blog once of like, just know that at the end of the day, it's going to work out one of three ways. Um, and that even helped me kind of have a sense of peace of like, there will be one day that I look back at all of this and I will feel like there are these defining moments where mm. I got to the end point or I got to a point where like, things did change because I think that's the other thing that can be really lonely and isolating and worrisome is you just feel like you're it's never going to end and you're never going to get what you've wanted so badly which reflects a lot of mental health things that happen to people it doesn't matter what you're struggling with people with a lot of anxiety people with depression um they really it's really hard in those moments to see that there are cycles Mm -hmm. of life and things change constantly but when you're in a moment that feels very prolonged that hopelessness um, is hugely tied to a lot of mental health and a lot of um, suicide and things like that and so bringing light to some of that and you know reminding ourselves constantly I do it too you know if I'm in a I call it like the seasons yeah like oh I'm in a stress season like you know, this past week for me was really stressful. I was yeah. like, oh, this is just a season. It's okay. Yeah. And next week is a different season or whatever that looks like for us. Yes. And and knowing that it doesn't mean that this will all just go away one right. day, right? That it's not just going to like flip a switch, but that yes, there there is going to be seasons of this and, and it won't feel this heavy forever, right? Mm -hmm. That it's not going to always feel that way. Can I go back um, to your story? So yeah. now you're a year in. And so I'm a year in, mm -hmm. and I go back to my said OB, which I've since switched from. Um, <laughs> and she... Who's your, who's, the, who's your OB? Can you share? Who that you, I'm currently going yeah, to? Yeah, that you felt. Um, yeah, so I, I have an OB that's in Birmingham. It's gen, the Generations Group, mm -hmm. um, and they are kind of like a rotating group of doctors. Yeah. Um, and they're they're lovely people. Great. I um, I give a lot of respect and attention, and um, can't speak highly enough about a high risk MFM that I started seeing. So maternal fetal medicine doctor, um, and he co manages me along with generations. Great. Um, so you're one year in. So I'm one year in, and I go to my former OB, and I'm like, hey, remember me? <laughs> like. It, I'm still not pregnant. And, um, you know, at that point, we're already kind of exhausted. Uh, I think it's only fair to mention that um, infertility can be incredibly trying on a marriage. And so we're two years into marriage at this point and going through one of what I hope is one of our hardest battles. Um, but she finally agreed to do some initial testing, right? So they did a bunch of blood work on me to test for different hormone levels and any other kind of obvious glaring things. Um, they oftentimes like check your thyroid and they check progesterone levels and all of that. Um, and then they also sent Nick to do a sperm analysis. Um, so that, that was kind of like the initial, here are some things we can see if this helps. 
Um, and so we got our test results back from that. And everything was fine for the most part with me. We did find some things that they wanted to kind of further explore with Nick. Um, and so we started going down the route of seeing some specialists. Um, and even that, I think, is something that I'll be really honest with is um, up until that moment, it was like we didn't, it, it didn't feel super real until we had to start like seeing specialists and going to different doctors. And I think even that, it's like at the age we were, we were watching everyone get pregnant around us. And, and even a lot of instances of like, oh, we weren't even really trying, but here we are, or like we accidentally got pregnant. And, and so I just remember it, it being so triggering, walking through everyday life, right, of just, like, who's going to be the next person that's close to me that gets pregnant while I'm, like, having to go see all these specialists and and kind of navigate this whole world that I didn't even know totally existed, right, and trying to stay off message boards of, like, what certain test results mean and what that, what the odds are that we'll end up having a baby and um, so we went through a lot of testing um, and had some kind of action plans, but not a ton. It was more like another kind of year of just like you're going to appointments, you're trying to figure some stuff out. They did put Nick on a medication that was supposed to kind of help hormonally, which we didn't know was a thing. Um, and I did end up getting pregnant. Uh, so this was almost two years into our journey. Um, I got pregnant and I remember in my head, it was like, okay, this is it. You know, like everything's done now. Like it felt like I can't possibly have gone through that and have anything else happen. Like, this is it. This is my baby. This is how like our life moves forward. Hooray. Ta-da. And so, um, I was pregnant for, um, or I knew I was pregnant uh, for about four weeks, and I woke up one day, uh, and I was bleeding, and I was cramping, and I felt like I was having one of the most intense periods of my life, and uh, there's this weird, like, just, like, surrealness to it, because you read about miscarriages, and you, you think you understand what that would be like, but I just... I didn't know it until I was in it, you know, and I knew that morning that it was like everything was changing, that this was another defining moment in our story. Um, it, it was crushing, right? I had, this was two years of like wanting something so badly and then it finally happened and then it was like slipping through my fingers in front of me and you know, there's all sorts of, like, things that people don't always talk about, too. Like, I remember I called my OB, and they're like, well, we can't get you in. I was like, what do you mean you can't get me in? Like, my like I'm losing my child right now. Mm. Um, urgent care couldn't get me in. So they sent me to the emergency room, and I was literally, like, told to, like, sit on a pad and just kind of watch mm. it all happen. And little things, like, I remember the ultrasound tag well-meaning but like she was like and you're sure you were pregnant because they couldn't at that point I think I had passed the baby and so they couldn't find the appropriate tissue that they were looking for and I was like yeah like I I remember like being so irrationally mad at her right that like how dare you ask if I knew I was pregnant of course I knew I was pregnant you know like I I took pregnancy tests for four weeks even though like it was confirmed that I was pregnant so I think just that moment of, of like, it would, it was such a happy thing that turned so sad so quickly, um, and was really just kind of traumatizing, you know, and then we were sent home from the ER with like, yeah, follow up with your OB, but you probably lost the baby, and a lot of just very, like, like, cold medical facts were thrown, right, like, well, one in four women, have a miscarriage. So yeah, it's kind of common. And especially after trying so hard for so long, it just, that felt insulting, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so that was in the fall of, 
I'm terrible with like aligning okay. years, but not that anyone's going to be at home like fact checking yeah. <laughs> the dates of all of this. But um, so then, what were your next steps? Yeah, like, so did you feel like you just continued, or I, did you feel? So I actually uh, will never forget. I had set up an appointment with an infertility clinic the same morning that I later found out I was pregnant Mm. um, because I was just like at my wits end and I felt like no one was listening to me and I felt like something had to give or change or or get better. And so I had made um, an appointment with RMA of Michigan. They're lovely. They're Mm. in Troy and I love Dr. Wolf. Um, She's still like one of my favorite people that I've worked with throughout all of this. And thankfully, even when I found out I was pregnant, I decided to um, keep that appointment. I guess there's just like something inside of me that felt like I needed to keep it. And so I miscarried in the middle of September and we had our first appointment in October. It like takes a long time oftentimes to get into clinics. Um, So we went to that appointment and that was like a whole new breath of fresh air. I I felt like people were finally taking us serious. She had like totally reviewed our case and and was able to like speak compassionately to me, but very scientific to Nick, which is like we have kind of opposite brains. And so it was it was like the first time a doctor felt like she cared and was truly ready to help us in a lot of ways. And so we started with them, like I said, in October. Um, And from there, we had an action plan of different steps we could try. And so we we dove into the world of like infertility treatments. So um, we started with what's called timed intercourse, which is the the least sexiest way to get pregnant ever. I've never heard of this. Anytime you call it timed intercourse, like no one's benefiting in that situation. (laughs) But um, so they put me on hormones. I was on Femera and uh, Nick was on Clomid. And um, it was like going in for blood work every morning pretty much at certain stages and going in for ultrasounds to check that like everything was moving along the way it should and then they'd like send us home I I think at that point I had to give myself a shot to help like so that we could ensure that I ovulated at the right point it was like very timed and scheduled and like you know hot and sexy hot and sexy oh my gosh like (laughs) oh my gosh it's terrible right and it's and it's not something you can like explain to your work, right? Or explain to your friends, like, no, I can't make dinner plans that night because I have to have sex. Like, you know, it was just like felt that felt all consuming and very like, don't, but don't stress about it. (laughs) Like you have to have sex on October 26th, but like, don't stress about it. Just like relax and have fun with it. Um, it's like managing uh, a meeting schedule. Yeah, Yeah. it's terrible. Yeah. Like we had things in our shared calendar. Like it was just like, it's, And I think even at that point, there is this kind of like mourning of getting it, getting to have it happen the quote unquote like normal way. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I think there was a process for me of, of grieving a little bit. Like I cannot believe that people get to have this happen so easily. And I'm like, like putting reminders in my phone of when I have to give myself a shot and when I have to do this and do that. And it just, yeah, it's it's a different experience. Um, so we went through months and months of that. It didn't work, uh, which was also maddening. Um, then we moved to IUIs, which is like the turkey baster method. <laughs> it's like taking sperm and, and waiting for the exact right time and using a catheter, like getting the sperm to where they need to be at the appropriate time. Um, and there's all sorts of tracking and, and kind of like medicalness to that too. Um, it's certainly not what you dream of. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, this is how no. I'm going to have a kid. Um, we did several months of that. So I think we ended up doing, don't quote me on this, but I think we ended up doing five I'm calling Nick after this. Nick, excuse me. Can you please verify these yeah. months? <laughs> like, oh God. I'm very What'd worried. What would she say? Um, but we did months and months in that. And then, you know, our doctor sat us down after that didn't work. And I, I thank her for this now. At the time, it felt kind of like a death sentence because she basically sat us down and said, like, hey, you guys, I, this should have worked. If this was going to work, this should have worked by now. I'm not totally sure why it's not working. 
Um, but if it's, if it's something you guys are deciding of like, should we keep doing this or should we consider a next step? She's like, I would strongly encourage you to save your money and think about IVF. Um, she's like, we can, you know, navigate around a couple things and, and it's, I have, she's like, I have more control that way. And, um, I just, I think that's mm -hmm. your next step. And I don't know. It's like when you start going through all this, you, in your head, you kind of hope you never are going to get to that step because right. that step just feels so big and scary and daunting. And I think there's such misconceptions about that being like a, a guaranteed thing. And it's not right. Like the odds aren't even that great. And yeah. it's so expensive and it's so it changes your body, your changes hormones. your body. Yeah. Like I have so many different stories. One of them involves driving home from yoga. Um, <laughs> Perfect. But yeah, so we took that not well, right. That was kind of really <clears throat> trying. And, um, we took several months off. I mean, we were still trying, of course, mm -hmm. and hoping that we were going to be that story of like, yeah, they got told they had to do IVF and then got naturally pregnant. Like, I remember thinking, okay, these are actually going to be our months because mm -hmm. it's, it's always when you stop trying that, right. you know, um, but that didn't happen. So mm -hmm. we, uh, ended up signing on for IVF and, that is a whole process that could take a whole podcast yeah. in itself. And and I think it's important for everybody to understand maybe you're going through this process, but then there's like a whole life outside. So yeah. let's talk about maybe during, if you look at the whole scope of your um, journey, like what mm -hmm. were the things outside of your journey, like opening our like lens? Yeah. How are you taking care of yourself outside of just going to the doctor being in your marriage and focusing on having children? Like what were some of your things that you did that you feel kept your mental health relatively yeah. stable? <laughs> relatively um, is good. Relatively stable. Um, yeah, I think I had to really dig deep in a lot of ways to make sure that I was staying sane and that I wasn't letting myself fall into a deep, dark hole. Yeah. Um, yoga was such a savior for me in a lot of ways and um it was a a place and space where I could stop having to be like infertile Jesse and I could just like be on my mat and be in my head and and kind of give myself space that I needed um I started really trying to um get into meditation and be intentional with meditation during this time period um, I did a lot of like guided, you know, yeah. like um, I used Headspace, Headspace or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think they now have even like Headspace targeted towards infertility specifically. Um, but what do you feel like was, if you could think of one thing, what would be the thing mm -hmm. that like stood out the most to you? Yeah. That felt supported and. Probably yoga. Okay. I mean, and, and. I mean, I wouldn't disagree <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, in like, a certain way because I watched you every day, but, yeah. you know. Yeah, and the community there because I think you um, you and others in that space saw me and could recognize um, when I was having a hard day or when I was having, you know, a rough time. Um, and beyond that, I think talk therapy yeah. and journaling – I think like all these things, like we're so afraid of talking about mental health and that's part of what this podcast is about. And uh, I'm a huge advocate for talk therapy. Yeah. Um, I think Me it's, too. yeah, it's, if you find the right person, you know, it's like finding that right fertility doctor. Yeah. It's like a breath of fresh air. Like there's possibility for change. Yes. Um, and yeah. I, yeah. And helping me walk through each of the, the difficult, um, steps. So yeah, I think those were all really helpful. Um, and then when I started the IVF process, a lot of people thought I was insane for doing this, but I went through teacher training yeah. at Citizen. Yeah. And I remember people being like, so you're doing one of like the craziest things ever in this sphere of your life. And then you're also signing up for like this intense like thing that's going to take up a lot of your time and mental space and physical space. And But to me, it was like, I don't know, it just felt... Right. And I still look back at that and um, 
I'm so incredibly grateful that mm-hmm. those two things did line up. Um, we talked a lot about like reframing. Yeah. So like, can you talk to me a little bit about some of the lessons about reframing? Yeah. Uh-huh. So, and I guess um, to, to backtrack a little bit, because this involves part of the reframing was um, before we went through IVF. So like the spring, um, the spring of the later summer that we did IVF, I decided to kind of come out about oh, yeah. our journey and mm-hmm. what we were going through. And I think for the longest time, it, you know, like I said, family and friends, close friends knew, but it felt like such a like weight that I was constantly carrying around with me that um, I just anticipated that people were like, why aren't they having kids yet? And, and, you know, like wanting to know why we weren't following that like typical path. Um, and so I actively chose to to come out about it. And I did so in in a, I don't know, like a kind of typical way. I, I think guess. you posted. I, posted. I remember. Yeah. I remember March seeing that. 6th. It was I distinctly awesome. remember the day. And I decided it wasn't just coming out about it, it was also deciding, making an active choice that I was going to take this, what we were going through and try to turn it into mm. a way to help other people. Perfect. And so that when you talk about reframing, I think that was like another defining moment where I like flipped the script, right? Like I took this thing that was so heavy and sad for me and I wanted to, to use it for a different purpose. I wanted to like make something of that experience. Um, and that reframing, I think, shifted everything for me because it helped me start to feel like all of these things that I'm going through are like puzzle pieces and and like badges that I'm like oddly gaining along the way that are somehow going to help me help other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I, like, I feel like that sound, I don't want to sound no, it's like not. boastful or like I'm patting myself on the back because that's not at all how I want to come across. But just that it, it allowed me to like have much more peace with all of these steps that we were going through and much a much bigger like sense of purpose yeah like there's a reason I mean you and I were talking about you know yeah I like like, hate the phrase like I would hate that people would say like everything happens for a reason because like I would want to be like f you you're not the one going through this it's terrible in the moment how dare you say that this is happening to me for a reason but yeah I mean I guess there is an element where um I am grateful that I went through every single thing that I did because it helped build me to be able to help others yeah, I mean that it's um, it's a process, you know. We I was talking about it with some uh, people I'm working with in my apprenticeship, and learning how to take your personal trauma and turn it into service. I really believe is the only way to like heal our wounds. And there's yeah. the wounds are going to happen, right? The world is going to happen, yeah. and we just have to learn in any way how we can eventually. Not yeah. right away, right? right? It wasn't like, oh, here, I'm going to start the support group, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But yeah. it was in a, in a, eventually, I will learn how to take this personal trauma or this personal pain mm-hmm. and make it like a salve for other people's wounds. Yes. And I think that that's part of what this podcast is. And the reason I wanted to have you on, because oh. infertility is a, is a, it's, it's so quiet. Yes. It's like everybody's whispering. Yeah. And miscarriage and mm-hmm. IVF and mm-hmm. sex. Yeah. You know, right? sex. I know. Don't say that. <laughs> yeah. So while you're in teacher training. While I'm um, in teacher training, I go, um, I started the IVF process. So we did um, egg retrieval first. So that is a really intense experience of giving yourself shots all the time and getting monitored really closely. I will never forget I had to like there was this one specific shot that I had to give myself at a certain time on a certain day and it happened to line up with teacher training. Oh god. Oh my god, case. So are you in the bathroom? Like Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I bring my shots with me and I put them in the fridge at Citizen and Perfect. Next before, to the water bottles. Before, <laughs> yes. Before that, I had texted Anzamba uh-huh. because I wanted her to understand. Like, she knew I was going through IVF. She was so incredibly supportive. And I needed her to know that, like, I needed to walk out at a specific time and blah, blah, blah. 
Well, I texted her this long thing about, like, I just don't want you to think one of your students is shooting up in the bathroom, like, kind of <laughs> trying to be playful about it. I didn't have the right number. So oh, I, my God. <laughs> I texted this to a complete stranger, and I went um, I went up to Anna, and I was like, hey, like, did you get my text? And she was like, no. what text? And I was like, oh, no. That's <laughs> so amazing. So I sent this, yeah, super long explanatory thing to someone who, um, who it wasn't. Uh, meant to go to but anyways uh we went through that I um did end up that was a whole roller coaster because we um had a ton of eggs retrieved but barely any of them made it which is another like I don't think people understand um but we transferred one of the embryos and I was pregnant uh for a little bit and then I unfortunately miscarried again um so Without teacher training and all that we are learning and doing, I just don't know where I would have been. And and it was so interesting how, like, so many components of that built me to be equipped to deal with that second loss because I think that was just an incredibly traumatic moment for me. Yeah. Um, and feeling of, like, but we did all the things that everyone told us we needed to do to make this happen. And it still didn't, didn't. work. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So when you, um, one thing that I think is really important to talk about as we get toward the end of your journey, mm -hmm. you know, remember you were mentioning that there are three outcomes, Yeah. right? So we're yeah. going to talk about those three outcomes uh -huh. and where you're at right now. Yeah. Um, but I think it's really important for all of us when we talk about, how you're relating other, to other people to like get a little bit deeper into your experience of, um, cause I know a lot of my friends who I've talked to really struggle. And I think it's at any big life stage of people getting engaged. And we talked mm -hmm. about sort of the responsibility of your posts, Yeah, you know, on social media and what you share and remembering yes. that, you know, even I was telling you when, when Adam and I got engaged, I was so resistant to posting it because I know that there's a girl on the other side of my Instagram thinking, that that was going to change her whole day. Yeah. Even, you yeah. Know? Like, oh my God, he hasn't asked me yet. There's something wrong with me. My life isn't moving forward and mm -hmm. all that pressure. And I think that, you know, again, being responsible with what you, what content you're putting out there. Yes. And you and I were talking about, you know, sort of the guilt of feeling angry at other people for their life moving forward. And how do you reconcile your anger towards other women and other couples for having children and like how can we be more compassionate with ourselves for having those feelings yeah because we're gonna have those feelings I know and that was one of the things that I I, did, I I like struggled with so much I don't like to think of myself as a jealous or envious person I am like I love celebrating other people and their big life events and yet I found myself like uh, social media was a landmines for oh, me like I, it was so toxic and so triggering we're gonna definitely do a whole podcast every, on social oh, media bring me back please because I have so many things to talk about yeah like pregnancy announcements were right torturous for me seeing people um even just post about their kids but also complain about their kids or their pregnancy like that yeah. was so triggering for me because it's like you don't know what you have like yeah. there are people who want that so badly so stop complaining about the fact that you gained a little weight or like life lesson you know, for all of us for all things in our life <laughs> right um I think yeah even like baby showers were incredibly I ended up crying in a bathroom stall at all baby showers pretty much so just yeah these life moments where I hated that I felt the way that I did but they it was this sense of kind of like feeling so stuck and feeling like everyone's life was progressing around me and I was not that I was stuck and in this like you know but you weren't no you know and I think that that's a reminder for all of us is to not just move through an experience have the experience change and then forget about the experience and how it's inevitable that it changes. Yeah. Like to consciously reflect when you go through something hard, how it didn't always stay that way. Yeah. And also to be really compassionate to other people when you have really joyful things in your life right. to realize that somebody else's life might not be equally as joyful and vice yes. versa. Like yeah. when you're going through something really hard, holding and sharing joy, it's a spiritual quality and I'm forgetting the Sanskrit, Sanskrit word for it, but an ability to be excited for other people is a spiritual quality. Yeah. Um, 
so let's talk about your three outcomes. Yeah. Right? You have three different outcomes yes. um, that you were given when you read that wonderful blog post. And maybe you can yeah. share a little bit now about what your outcome was. Yeah. So um, after our failed IVF or my second miscarriage, it was about four months later. And I did all sorts of soul searching and lifestyle changes and dietary changes and um, kind of shifted to just trying to figure myself out. And I was, I don't think I was shifting completely to thinking about what life would be like without kids, but I was certainly starting to think creatively about where we went next, Mm -hmm. right? And like what our life looked like and what we would feel comfortable with um, Mm -hmm. for for the, you know, our family makeup. And <laughs> I kind of hate it because I don't ever want to be the story that people tell other so people what? to like comfort them. Let yourself them. be the but story that comfort other but people who are listening to this podcast. Yeah. And it's okay. So I ended up getting pregnant four months later um, and like quote unquote naturally and um, was able to, to carry full term um, and have my son who's now 14 months old and is like my absolute world. And I like, he is everything to me. He's so happy and silly and just like, I don't know, he's, he's what I dreamed about for all of those years. So it's like, certainly I hold on so tight to him mm-hmm. in such a way. And I never want to act like all moms and dads don't love their kids. You know, like, of course, you like you're obsessed with them and they're your everything. But I just I wonder how much. What am I trying to say? Like, I, I. I can't imagine. The way that it shifted my love in a way like all of those struggles it just, I could, I can't even possibly appreciate him as much as I want to be able, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he's just. Like, he's been on the journey with you, even yeah, though he wasn't on the yeah, journey with like you. Yeah, like, his little soul was yeah. just, like, waiting with us the whole time, and he's just really I th- great. I think one of the lessons um, that I was trying to tell Jesse before, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which is, like, don't shame your joy. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Don't shame your joy. Yeah, which because I, that's not that's not fair either. Yeah, um, I certainly struggle with that at times. Um, so, what's your other announcement with your group and yeah, what else are you so doing that, and, and how are part, you helping? I feel and, bad that I didn't I didn't spend a ton of time just yet talking about it. But I think the other when we go back to reframing, like the other thing that changed so much for me was starting um, a support group both online. Um, I do like a What's it, is it? Does it have a name? It's called Fertily Challenged because I was so sick of infertility and feeling like Great. infertile. So I, it's Fertily Challenged. And when um, do you guys meet? So, well, and that's my online support group. Okay. Um, the support group that we do in person is kind of relaunched through Detroit Mom Blog and myself. Um, there's three women that I do it with, and we are meeting um, two times a month: one Wednesday, one Sunday. Um, and they kind of rotate. Uh, there's a whole, I can give you a link of um, all the meeting dates. And we're rotating locations, too. So we're trying to have some in the Royal Oak, Detroit area, and then some more in, like, the Northville, Farmington area because we're just trying to reach as many women yep. struggling as we can. And some of them are going to be at Citizen, right? That's the hope and the dream. It's yeah. happening. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's great. And I think that part of, I mean, much, much more of a continued conversation, Mm -hmm. um, for future. And we had a whole plan to talk about more resources and, and we'll get to that. And, you know, again, Jesse is around the studio and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, our friendship started at Citizen and, you know, we've watched each other grow and I'm Mm -hmm. so grateful that you were so courageous to share such a personal story. Thank you. Well, yeah. thanks for giving me the platform to do so, like in so many ways, not only here on the podcast, but you've been so supportive in in have, letting me host groups at Citizen and helping me spread the word and connecting me to people. Like it's just your friendship and, and our relationship is something I really treasure. So, yeah. 
So that was our first episode. Oh, how do we do? After class. <laughs> um, this episode is really um, the first of one of our series, which is to talk about issues that people aren't talking about. Mm-hmm. So if you have any um, requests, if you have any suggestions, um, you can send them on to us. And thank you all so much for listening. Yeah, thanks, guys.